spiritual black holes where there is no church. So it is a pleasure to have my wife here today, one of my daughters. I've got three daughters. Two of them are still back in St. Petersburg, Russia. Nancy and I return home tomorrow to St. Pete. Alyssa is studying at a university down in Springfield. It is great to have them here. So it is a pleasure. And out of the table, there is a prayer card so you can see the pictures of the other two girls. Please take it and pray for us. We really do believe that. About a few years ago, I know we talk about prayer all the time. We always say the need for prayer. But I was really challenged that I... Sometimes in life and in ministry, we get to situations and we get to the place where we realize, I have nothing to offer. Have you ever been in that place before? You know, and I think as, as believers and in ministry, it's a place we have to get ourselves to often. Now, you can prepare to teach kids in Sunday school class. You can work with a small group. And there's a value to that and all the preparations and all of our abilities. But so often, we need to also get to the place where we realize, without God, I can do nothing more. And so that's where I have found myself so often in the last few years. God, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. Help me. And that's where prayer is going to come. Because I realize the need of Russia is so immense. So please grab one of those prayer cards. Be praying for us. There's a magazine out there. Take one, take two. It's about Russia. I actually wrote the article. We did a lot of photographs. It gives you an understanding. And if you want to keep praying for us, you can put your email down. We'd love to connect with you and stay in contact. We really do believe for that. Russia is huge. And When I see the need, sometimes I'm overwhelmed. It is so big. It is so enormous. Only about 1% of the population is Christian. So I've got a lot of work ahead. Russia, most of the time in the news, is not positive right now. In fact, I almost hate to even look at the news (laughs) because what is the next thing that they're going to put on there that Russia has just done? You know, it's not uh, really the most favored nation in the world. But the issues are really not a political thing. It's a spiritual problem. We've got people that are... You know, they're lost, and they're far from God. Really not a whole lot different than what's in the U.S. I know that, (laughs) our leaders. But it is a place that just needs God. I was talking to a a pastor a number of years ago. His name is Andre. He pastors in the far east side of Siberia, a small town called Chita. And we were talking. He says, I remember, we had this conversation. I remember 25 years ago when... There, it was still the Soviet Union. Anybody here old enough to remember the USSR? Okay, Soviet Union. Okay. If you're young enough, you don't remember that. But that was, at that time, almost the other superpower of the world. I mean, it, and there was fear. There's people who are older, they will say, I remember drills in school when they had us um, get under a desk for fear that the Russians were going to bomb the U.S. There was that kind of fear, the nuclear area, era. Of course, it's interesting when I sit with Russians. They said, oh, boy, I remember back those days in school when we were little kids, and they did bomb drills because they were afraid that America was going to bomb the Soviet Union. So it's interesting how we always had the, the views toward one another. And once you get to know each other, you just realize people are people everywhere. They're lost. They're without Christ. They all, they all need hope in their lives. 
Well, Andre and I were talking. He says, I remember 25 years ago hearing something on the radio, and it was a call for the world to pray. He was a Christian, but obviously everything was secret. You had to, you had to be careful of what you're doing. Many pastors were, you know, disappeared or went to the, the gulag, the, the prison camps. In fact, a year ago, I was on a snowmobile, and we were going up into this area, and the, the man I was with, the pastor, he said, he stopped, and he said, over here was a camp. And you could still see a few little places of homes or a little wall set up there. He said, this was a prisoner camp, and a lot of our Christian brothers came here. And it's in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a swamp. And I cannot even imagine what they went through in the summer with the mosquitoes. But they built a road across a bog in the middle of Siberia. And many of them died right in that same place. So Andre, he says, I remember that. And I remember those days when people were praying. And he said, within months, everything changed and freedom came and we could preach about Jesus and there was a great outreach, you know, that happened 25 years ago. Both he and I, as we're talking, it dawned on us. 25 years ago, the world was called to pray for Russia and the Soviet Union. And everything happened. But then everybody stopped praying because they thought that political freedom was the same as spiritual freedom. And so today, if I can move it forward 25 years, there is a semblance of political freedom there. But the spiritual freedom has still not come. So I am challenging you, church, very. Every time you hear that negative news on a report on Russia in the news, make it a call to pray. Pray that God will send workers. Pray that God will uh, do a revival, that the churches will be planted, that our nation will be changed. We need God to do something. 25 black holes. Can you imagine? And think of any small town in Minnesota. You can go in, there's six churches, right? <clears throat> I mean, there's all kinds of them. Not all evangelical, maybe not all full of life, but there are churches that are there. I have 100,000 villages and cities in Russia alone that have no church of any kind, of any form. Not, not a dead denomination, not a live denomination, nothing. 100,000. We've got about 80,000 ethnic groups that are there that are without a, a gospel, without a church, they're unreached. They have no Christians among their nationality. One or very few. There's one, nation, one ethnic group called the Ingush, it's down in the south part. They're very ethnic Muslim. The Caucasus there, they're very strong. We thought there was not a single believer in the world, except last year we heard of one guy who just came to Christ. That's the only Christian among that entire ethnic group. And I think, Lord, how can we do something? We need miracles to happen. That is what missions is about. 11 time zones wide, and I have about 11 missionaries there right now, full, fully appointed. And so um, I think there's need, you know, I think there's need. When there's only one per time zone, we need a lot of missionaries to come. We have two great bright spots. One is a university ministry. We're trying to do Chi Alphas on every one of these cities. And it's working. It, it is amazing to see what God does. And the other one is church planting. How can we get the churches planted in every one of those 100,000 places? We have Buddhist. We have Muslim. We have good old atheist. We've got shamanist. Uh, we have communists. And we have religious people. But we have a lot of lost people. And so we need God to do something. We really do. Uh, and there's so much of that fear that we've got to somehow make it, turn it around, and fill it with love. People see something different. They see something. We live in St. Petersburg, which is a relatively large city, six to eight million people. And we live in a small little apartment. And in our area, there's a lot of Central Eurasians, which are Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, that area. They come in there. And there's one woman just around the corner for, where Nancy always is her favorite place to buy fruits and vegetables. You have the little shop. You go around the block and... And Luba is her name. And Luba, my wife, we spent 10 years in Moldova. So Nancy speaks Romanian. 
but not Russian. I mean, she understands. She learns a few things. She can say Markov and Kartoshki. And she under, that means, you know, carrots and potatoes. And, you know, she can pick those things out. So she has a few of the words, but she can't have a conversation yet in Russian. And so we were in there, and I was in over one day picking up some fruits or vegetables that Nancy wanted me to get for dinner. And Luba says, your wife is the nicest person in the world. <laughs> you know, and I thought of this. I thought, what is what has Nancy said? What is the meaningful conversation that Nancy has had with her? Carrots, potatoes, you know, celery, apples. That's it. But she sees something in her, and that's called you know, the Spirit of Christ. She sees something come out. And God has called all of us to do that. I love a quote. This is one of my favorite quotes, and I've quoted it often because it's it's great, but it's out of a, a great whiz, wise man in literature, Bilbo Baggins. And in Lord of the Rings, Bilbo said, It's dangerous business, Frodo. <coughs> Excuse me. Going out your door. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Yeah, can I have that water, please? I was afraid of this, and Randy got me a, a thing of water, and I forgot it down there. Thanks. It's dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. And I love that phrase because it really shows the adventure of following Jesus Christ. When you step into the road, you have no idea where the Lord will lead you. I was thinking about two points. Really, my sermon has got two points, mostly. Um, It's two ways that Jesus talked. The beginning and the end. At the beginning, at the end, when he walked up to Andrew, James, and John, and, and when he looked at these guys, and Peter, and he looked at them at the fishing, what did he say? What was the first word? Come, follow me. At the very end of his life, what did he say to the disciples as they all gathered around? He said, go into all the world. I want to just talk and really just kind of look at those, that concept, because when he says, step into the road, he's saying, Come and follow me. Today, I want to challenge you in this service to come follow Jesus Christ. Now, Pastor already mentioned something about salvation. That is the first call. Come and follow me. Would you come and follow me? And on the journey of following Jesus Christ, he's our Lord, he's our Savior. We repent, we come to Christ. That is the first come. It really is. With some people, it takes a while to come. Colleen, excuse me. Colleen was a woman in our church. I pastored in Montana for years. I'm sorry, but as a speaker, there's nothing worse than when you get that frog in your throat, you know, and you're, <clears throat> and you're trying to tough it out. So my apologies. Colleen was a wonderful, wonderful woman, just very interesting. Okay? Her dad was an atheist. Her mom was a backslidden, well, not even backslidden, but a, a Catholic in name only, probably had been there twice in her life, bitter toward the church. So you kind of put the atheist and the bad religion together, you get Colleen. Okay? So Colleen did not trust the church. She didn't like it. She was an atheist Catholic. I don't know how you can work that out, but that's really what she was. So Colleen, her kids started coming to church because they liked the children's church, and they, we had this junior Bible quiz program. Oh, that was great. So Colleen started coming, and her husband. And <laughs> it was an interesting thing because I was teaching a Sunday school class, and it was the case for Christ. I don't know if you've ever read the book. It just talks about these, this guy who was an, an atheist and his process of coming to Jesus. Well, every week, Colleen would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how could... How could God be good if there's evil in this world? You know, it's all those difficult, those big, the big questions. And I, we'd talk through it, and we'd look at it, and she said, well, 
you know, that's a possibility. <laughs> the next week, it'd be the same thing. I mean, about 12 weeks down the road, and there was after 12 weeks of her coming, she finally came to Jesus Christ, and she repented, and she is now, she's now leading, or at least was leading the junior Bible quiz in the church, okay? It's amazing the process of coming to Jesus. That is a fantastic journey. Some of you happen instantly. Some of you, it takes a lot of questioning. Sometimes we, we plow through it. I don't know what the journey's like, but there's a process of coming to Jesus, But God never stops there. He says to you often, would you come and follow me? In a mission service, as we talk about it often, there's a come and follow with our finances. There's a come and follow with our prayer. There's a come and follow with our lives or giving our kids or our grandkids to him. There's a come. Can you come? And we get stretched out of that so often. I am challenged all the time. I I was thinking about this um, recently because in my goal and dream through high school, I wanted to get a dog, move to the Yukon, and hunt and fish for a living. That's all I wanted to do. You know, I, I had no desire. You know, trap shooting, hey, that's right up my alley. I can handle that kind of stuff. White Hill Hunters Anonymous Support Group. That'd be my perfect ideal ministry. But God somehow called me to come. I ended up at North Central. I don't know how I did You know, God called me to come, and I was pastoring and youth pastoring and all that process. I was happy in the States. And God said, come, follow me. You know, to overseas and missions. God says it to us over and over again. Come and follow. Would you come and get out of your comfort zone? Sometimes it's a financial thing. And this is for us. You know, I'll speak the same thing. I, I had a number of years ago, I just shared a little letter. I was writing a letter because I was saying, it's amazing how God uses the little bits from everyone. We had just finished a ministry. It was Freedom Home as an aftercare home for survivors of trafficking in Moldova. Nancy had started this, and it was a fantastic ministry, seeing these girls find, find health. But it took a lot of money to build the home, and we got it started, and it was work. And, and I said, you know, we've never had anybody. I mean, nobody ever gave us big money. I mean, it, there was one time we had a, a, a good-sized check, but that was just enough to get us through about two months of construction. You know? But what had happened is somebody gives a dollar, and somebody gives $5, somebody gives $100. And you put these pieces together, we all obey God. See, the number of zeros never makes a difference. And I, was, I had written this letter, and Nancy and I happened to be, some reason, I don't know why, we were in the U.S. Maybe it was our year of itineration. And I get a call on the phone, and there's very few times that Nancy knows I'm shocked. But I had just written this letter. I said, you know, we're going we're gonna to build another church. We're doing this church, New Life Church, and it's right in the center, and it's going to take $150,000. We have no idea how it's going to do it, but it's going to be $1 at a time. And that we all come and bring our what we can. In fact, that's what Jesus so often says. He says, what do you have in your hand? Right? What do you have in your hand? And I said, that's amazing how God uses all of us. So I get a phone call, and this one couple says, hey, it's a young couple, much younger than us, probably in their 30s. And they said, you know, we just saw your letter, and we were just thinking about it, and we were praying about it, and we want to help out. Um, now, this had to be private, because we don't want our church to know, but can we send you a check for $150,000? Now, I'm very rarely uh, speechless. That was one of those times I was speechless. Now, the first thought, it was, I said, why didn't I write 300000 I mean, come on! I mean, you know. <clears throat> But, you know, it's that challenge of God calls us to come. And they said, God has been speaking to us to use what we have. <laughs> now, for some people, 150000 is probably much easier than certain people writing $15. It doesn't matter. God, it never has. But when our finances, when there's times that we say, God, can I come? We did 100 churches. There was a, uh, a church that said, we want to help start 100 churches in Siberia. And they challenged their church, 100 churches, and, then the, and the number was $7,000 a church. And people all of a sudden grabbed a hold of it and said, $7,000, man, we want to do it. 
There was home groups that said, we want to take one church. There was families that said, I want to take one church, or I want to take two churches. There was, as a church, they collected, and somebody gave 50, and some gave 100, some gave 5,000. It didn't make a difference. But at the end of that year, we had 100 churches that were planted because somebody said, I will come with what I have in my hand. And Jesus says to each one of us, now you ask, I'll just be honest. Sometimes our religion here is um, our own self. We are our own gods because it's entertain me, make me happy, pleasure, pleasure. And missions is a discipline and a sacrifice that says, God, I'm going to give something that I don't benefit from. Lord, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to give this up. And I'm not going to see any reward on this side of heaven. And God says to you, come. Come and give. God says, come and pray. Come and pray. Would you pray? Would you commit your life to pray for somebody who you don't like? It's hard to dislike the Russians if you're praying for them. We have enough hatred toward the Russians right now. How about just start praying and praying, Lord, I'm going to come and I'm going to give my time right now. And I'm going to intercede. I'm going to pray for a move of God. I'm going to, Lord, I'm prejudiced toward those people because what I see in the news. But they're not those people. In fact, let me just, let me just take that little rabbit trail for a second. So often we say those people. I mentioned the home that we started. And Nancy had done this years ago. And I, We've been always stretched. Sometimes you get with people, and you just never know how God is going to lead ministry. So when you're starting with this, it's survivors of human trafficking. That's not, you know, ex-prostitutes. And it's a broken society, a part of brokenness that was so deep that we had never seen anything like that before. But I remember some Christian leader saying, Andy, you don't want to mess with those girls. Don't get too close to those girls who used to be prostitutes, for the spirit of the prostitute might jump out on you. Okay, now, first of all, I do not know where that theology came from. I've never had the spirit of prostitute jump out on me. I've never worn a short leather miniskirt or fishnet stockings. Okay, so I just want you to know that. You're safe. There is no spirit that's jumped out on me. But what struck me is it was those people, those girls. Now, we can joke about it, those North Dakotans or those, you know, whatever. You can, the state over, we always have jokes about the next state and those Norwegians and those Germans and, you know. But really, in essence, sometimes we say those people. Those drug addicts, those alcoholics, those people. And any time we use that phrase, those people, we've lost the heart of God. Because they're never those people, they're my people. In John 4, a fantastic passage. I won't read it all, but I just think it's, um, you can read it afterwards. It's a fantastic passage where Jesus sits down with a woman at a well. He's walking through Samaria. He meets this woman. The disciples go into town, so he's at the well outside of town. And a woman comes up, a Samaritan woman. If you've read the passage before, you know what is she like. She's not your most holy person in town. So she's messed up. She's got all kinds of baggage. She's got a bad life. Her husband and whoever she's with right now. And and the conversation, Jesus says, hey, I am the living water. (laughs) She goes, there's living water. You never get thirsty again. I want that kind of living water. He says, I am that living water. And she realizes later he's a prophet But I'm struck by the last verse in that passage where the disciples come back and they say, they're shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? See, they had those people, that girl, and Jesus had, these are my people. Everyone's my person. The most broken person on the street is, he says, "That's, that's the one I care for. I love that person. And as a church, we need to be open to that. So missions sometimes stretches you in a way, but this is for your benefit right here in this community. 
They might dress different. They might speak a different language. They might be a different religion, but they're not those people. Not those Somalians or those Guatemalans or those illegal immigrants or those this or those Germans, Lord. Rats, I'm a good German. It's our people. We reach out and we love them. and We sit with them because God loves them. They are potentially children of God, reconciled to God. I mean, we're all children of God, but they want, the Lord wants them reconciled to God. So when I say to you, come, follow me, Jesus is saying to you, come and follow my life in the same way. You come and follow in salvation, but it's not going to end right there. He says, come and follow me. Come, follow me. Go to the people that you don't necessarily like. Come and follow me. The second part is a great commission. It says go. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not just go to the people you like. Go to the people with warm places and beaches. Go to the places that have good food. Last, two weeks ago, I was up in the north part of Russia. I had flown, we had just came back from our, our area retreat. I got on a plane the next day and flew to Siktiv Car. Then I had to know another place, Pechora, which is a, you can look these up. This keeps going farther and farther north, okay? We got there that day. The guys picked me up from the airport. We went out. We had some services that day in the church. We encouraged the pastor. We preached. I'm always stretched because I don't even know what I'm doing. They say, oh, no, you've got to preach tonight, and there's no translator, so you've got to preach in Russian. So every time, okay, that's going to make me stress and make me nervous. I've got to preach in Russian. And I get up there, and I preach. And then the ne- we get on a train that night at 11 o'clock. Uh, Russian trains are interesting, especially this one's a little more rustic. Open beds everywhere. There's no doors that close. It's men, women, everything. is like these cots, four and four. It was 120 degrees in there. It was like a sauna. I mean, it was just, it was just sweaty. And I thought, if you want to spread an infectious disease around the world that doesn't stop, put it right in there. I mean, is that, that bug would travel everywhere. They would stay at certain times, okay, we're locking the toilets. Why is that? Because we're going into a town and the, the toilets just open up right under the tracks, okay? So, I mean, they're, they're, you hold it as much as you can, so the whole time. We get off that, the next morning at 7 o'clock, they said, hey, we're just about off to our stop. Okay, we're getting ready to just get off. We got off at the stop, and there is nothing there. There is nothing. It is about eight homes, I feel like, and a bus, and a train station. And we all got our warm clothes on, and we got on a snowmobile. What are we doing? We're going out to the, see the Comey people. These are the reindeer people. The reindeer people live in teepees on the tundra. I'm above the 67th parallel. There is no trees that grow there. The few scrub, I should say, there's a few scrub trees that grow, but you can't see them because the snow is eight feet deep in those places. Um, you, so the Comey people live out there on a teepee. They've got a, their cows, if you want to call it, are reindeer. I got on the, they said, where are you going, Andy? Well, wherever you tell me. Sit on there. Sit on the sleigh. There's about four reindeer hides lying on there. And they, the snowmobile pulls us. Two of us are sitting on the sleigh. I held on for my dear life. I, did, I mean, that guy is flying. He doesn't wait. And you're just holding on. There's no rails. There's nothing. I feel like I'm sliding off this thing. In fact, one time the other guy did fall off. It was kind of funny, you know. But there's two of us on this thing sliding. 40 kilometers, 20 miles down the road, about an hour and a half, we get to the teepee and the reindeer people. You sit in here. This is where you start getting a little uncomfortable. You go inside the teepee. I mean, it was fun. I like the reindeer. In fact, you can see a video on my Facebook page that the National Church did. It's just a ministry trip. We go into the teepee. They're living there. That's all they live. You know, there's one pot of food they set out. We all eat out of the common pot. I thought, my dad would never handle this. He can't even handle church potlucks because he goes, I, I've been in some of those people's houses before. You know, I'm not going to go to that. You know, you get one fork and you just eat it all. You know, whatever's coming out there. And we just had a chance to share Christ. 
two of the people were Christians. We did communion together. We did communion here this morning, but there was, there was eight of us. That's all we did communion. About half of them were believers and half were not. So half didn't do communion, half did. And we did it together, and we worshiped. We gave testimonies. We talked about Christ. Uh, Lord, you called us to go into all the world, even when you're not comfortable. Now, I, I personally love the tundra. You know, anything above 75 degrees is already considered miserably hot for me. So, you know, 50 below, I'm happy. But, 50, you know, 90 above, I, I hate. But, but God calls all of us to go into all the world, to go into all the places, to reach people who need Christ. That's what he says. He says, go, get out of your comfort zone. And I was, trust me, I was well out of my comfort zone at that point. But I loved it because I loved following it's everywhere. I occasionally I get asked to do an article for the Worldview magazine. And it's the same magazine you'll see out there. It's one of our missions articles and or issues that we present for AGWM. And uh, a few months ago, I did one. They asked me to do one for Brazil. So I said, I can do it. I get one or two of those a year like that. I said, I'll go down there and I write the article and do some photography. And so we happen to be in the rain, the, on the Amazon. I had never been there before. I didn't know what it was like. It was miserably hot. See, the tundra is better. I'm just telling you, the tundra is better than the Amazon. But you get out there and you start realizing that there's these little tribes. They're, you know the old, have you ever seen those stuff like on National Geographic? These guys are living. There's still 300 tribes living out there, living on monkeys and whatever they can kill. And we thought, how can we reach people that, don't know Christ. You're not allowed in there. You're not allowed because they, it's like a government-protected thing. Nobody can have access. And we're, we've been puzzling this. How can we reach? How can we reach these people for Christ? How can we get the gospel out? And we, we had, have you ever had Murphy's Law follow you, like on a whole day or three day? This was a Murphy's Law situation, okay? I know Murphy is, he, sometimes he tells you. And so everything that can go wrong will go wrong. So we're going to try to fly up here. The lights go out in the airport. They had to turn around and go all the way back and land. And we had to go the next day up to this place. Finally got there, got on a boat, went all the way up the Amazon River. You're in this place, and then we realized, how are we going to meet these Indians? And we were trying to go and meet somebody else. He wasn't there, so we ended up in this town. And all of a sudden, here's this guy walking down with porcupine quills coming out of his cheek, his ears about this big around, tattoos all over his arm, wearing a monkey teeth necklace on his arms and his, and his, around his neck. And I said, uh, I think we just found one. Okay, so we, I mean... We followed our way down there, and there was a whole bunch of guys coming in here, and they're talking and visiting, and we found out, <laughs> I found out about four hours later, the reason they were in there is there's just been a bloodbath, and two tribes killed a bunch of them. So these guys had killed 20 of them yesterday or the day before. So they killed people from the other tribe, and they're all standing there. It makes me think a little different that I was standing there with their knives and their spears, but, you know, it was, it was interesting. And all, they're all there, and they're talking back and forth, and one guy, he pulls out this little recorder, and it plays. He says, this is the gospel. This is part of the Jesus message. And he plays it, and it was in a different tribe's language. And the guy looked at him and said, why isn't there one in my language? You ever had those kind of things? You just sink. Because there is nothing. Nobody's ever given you a Bible in your language. Nobody's ever even translated it. They don't even have the gospel of John where you can even understand. And my heart sank when I realized that the world has hundreds and hundreds of millions of people who have no chance to even respond to the gospel because there's no one there to tell them. And I stood in that place and thought, all it would take is a believer to be here. You just have to be there. And when they come in, you talk to them about Jesus. 
But they go so often to the harbor on the side of the river, or they come into town in the tundra, or they're in the middle of St. Petersburg, Russia, and they walk up, and there is no Christian to bump into. There is nobody sitting at the well, and the woman comes up, and it's her moment to hear the truth. We have to send people. We have to give. We have to pray. And we need God to do something. You know, I challenge you in a situation like this, in a meeting, in a service like this, to go. You know, I want us to come, to follow him, and to go. I'm going to challenge you very simply. We need people that are going to give, because that is part of it. And we're trying to plant 326 churches this year and 7,000 apiece. I don't know how to do it. You know, how can we get that many churches? I mean, God says, hey, I'll give $7. I'll give $70. I'll give 7000 I don't know. But God calls all of us to give what he can give. Because that's how we're going to plant the church. Just last week, I sent some money for a brand new church plant. and said, I don't know where it's going to come from, but let's put $3,000 here and let's get these guys involved. So let's do something. So I'm going to challenge you to give. I'm really going to challenge you to pray. That's even more important. I want you to pray. I want you to be praying for Russia. I want you to be praying for miracles. I want you to be praying for church plants. I want you to be praying for those people on the tundra. I want you to be praying that God does a move of God. And, and just as a, the Spirit of God sweeps across that nation, I'm going to challenge you to go. Or come, whichever way you want to look at it. But Russia needs you. You need somebody. I'm going to believe even out of this church that God is going to speak to one person who has to come. Come to serve long-term in Russia. Come to serve one or two years to plant a church on a university campus or to work in the Muslim world or work in the, the Buddhist area or perhaps just be in the middle of St. Petersburg, reach the international community that's there, reach the, the Muslims and the agnostics and the atheists in a major, major city. I don't know, but I'm going to pray that God will call some of you to go and serve. And I say, speak very honestly to parents and grandparents. If that's your kid or your or grandson or granddaughter, release them and bless them. So often people say, I feel called to go, and a parent or a grandparent says, no, you can't do that. You've got to get a good job. You gotta, don't do that. That's too dangerous. Can I just tell you, I feel safer in Russia than I do right here in the U.S. <laughs> if you are serving the Lord where he is at, it is a safe place. It really is. God is in control of all these things. God really is. And the Lord is challenging every one of us to follow him. Come and follow me. I'll end with one little story, because um, it's so easy. I was in the southern part of Russia. We've got a church planting team in, this, in the Caucasus. Now, the North Caucasus is tough. It is a tough area. That's the Chechnya, Dagestan. The Boston Marathon bombers were from Dagestan. So this is not your easy area. We're driving by, and there's this guy in a full dress sitting on a horse with a fur hat on his head. You know, one of those, it kind of looks like an afro type thing, okay? I can show you a picture afterwards if you want to imagine it. But it's a sheep fur, and I don't know what they do, but it's, it's woo, it's big. You know, it's like the 70s afro style, okay? It's big. And I go, what in the world? Why is this guy doing there? So we stop by and say, can we take some pictures? Sure, you know. And we started talking to him. All of a sudden, there's another horse, guy on a horse that comes up, three other cars. And we find out there's a family reunion slash wedding reception just over the hill. 100 people. Why don't you come and join us? Uh, okay. So we go in there upon the invitation. We're the only Christians they've ever met, you know. <clears throat> There's a hundred of them around there all staring at us. Have you ever had that kind of, this is a weird thing. Um, they're all staring. And they did their wedding dance, and we talked, and we spent two, you know, 30 minutes turned into two hours, and it was, a, it was an incredible time. And at the end, they said, please come back. We want to spend some more time with you. 
<coughs> the thought of relationship, all it takes is the presence of a person there that sees, that is full of the spirit of Christ, and people see it. So I'm saying we need people to come. We need people to give. We need people to pray. I don't know what God's going to do, but as a church, have a heart of missions for this world. If you have the heart to say, I am going to love the person who's different, you're going to help a church in Russia, but you're also going to help a church right here as you walk across the street and you talk to your neighbor. Maybe it's a greater challenge for you just to walk across the street, find that stranger who just immigrated to the U.S. Say, why don't you come over and have a dinner with me? I'd like to get to know you. You be their friend. We go and buy shawarma, which is a, this little street food. Okay, it's like a, a tortilla. I'm trying, trying to explain it, but it's tortilla with a sliced meat in, and they put French fries in there and spices and ketchup, and I like it. It's, it's, I don't know how to call it. It's like a Middle East burrito. Okay, that's probably the best way for me to describe it. And we go up to this stand, and they're cheap, 2 $3, and there's two guys there, from a guy and a gal from Central Eurasia, I don't know, Kyrgyzstan or Tajikistan, one of those, Muslim. And a woman looks at me the last time, and she said, you are the happiest person I know. Because I just, I always talk to him, how are you doing, you know, what's going on? You're the happiest person. And I was able to just say, talk about my faith, you know. There is something that's in us. When we have the love of Jesus Christ in us, people see the difference. Being a missionary, being a minister, is something every one of us is called to do. Cross that culture to reach out to somebody who's in need. Amen? I want to close here and pray in prayer. But I just want to challenge you. I don't know what the Lord is challenging you in. Would you just bow your heads? Close your eyes. Because just really in, in where you're at, I just want you to be able to have that privacy. Kind of think in yourself. Look inside. Some of you and I talked about coming to Jesus. and You knew that was you. The Lord is calling you to come. To come to serve him in a different way. Maybe it's calling to come to a different point of leadership in this church. Maybe God is calling you to come and serve in a different way in ministry. I don't know what the Lord is calling you. Maybe there's, maybe there's a financial call, and you know that you've, like this couple that called me, they said, we have not been giving in the right way, and we know that, and we need to give, and we're going to come and give. That is a coming and giving, and it's, it's tough. Maybe there's a coming and giving of your time. You say, oh, I don't, I don't have time to serve. I don't have time. Well, you probably have the time for the Twins game or the Vikings game. And maybe you need to come and be a part of the, the welcoming crew here at the church or Maybe help work with youth or kids. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you about stepping up into leadership. Maybe the Lord is calling you to come and lay aside all your grievances and all your complaints. and all. Maybe God is calling you to come and just lay up all your, your selfish desires. I don't like the music. I don't like the chairs. I don't like the way they do the offering. And you're just going to go and lay them aside and say, God, I'm going to come and be the supporter to this church, to the pastor, to the leaders here. I'm going to be the greatest encourager this church has ever seen. Maybe God is calling you. Come. Maybe God is calling you to come and serve in missions. Give up your kids or your grandkids. Maybe you're going to bless them and put your hand, hands upon them and say, I bless you to go and serve. Why don't you go and serve and make a difference in Russia or Iran or, or someplace in Africa, Botswana or Latin America or Brazil? I don't know. Maybe you're going to be the person that stands at the riverbank when that guy comes off the Amazon River and says, where's the person who can tell me about Jesus in my language? And you'll be there and you'll be ready. I don't know, but come to Jesus. And the Lord has been speaking to you about one area or two areas in your life, and you say, Lord, I'm going to raise my hand as a confession to you. They're calling me to come. If that's you, just lift up your hand. 
Ich bin ein Zeugnisse. Jemand? Thanks. I don't know where you are, but the Lord knows your heart. And the Lord knows what he's speaking to you about. And I'm just praying for that. I'm praying the Lord will give you courage. Heavenly Father, in this place right now, for every person sitting here, I pray that you give them courage. Lord, I pray that you give them courage to face themselves and where they're at. Have them courage to look inside, to find the times that they're selfish, times that they're thinking just about themselves. They're me-centered. Lord, give them courage to respond to you. Lord, sometimes the greatest courage we need is just, to, in a sense, to step out of our seat, to walk forward and kneel at an altar. <laughs> That's more courage than it takes sometimes to fight in a battle of war. There's courage. Lord, I pray for courage upon this church, that they may have courage to minister, to love people that are different than them, Lord, give them a courage that they just open their hearts and they say, I will serve wherever I can serve. Lord, I pray that you give us courage to not look at our limitations, our weaknesses, that you give us courage to respond to you. And Lord, you're standing before every person here and you're saying to them, come and follow me. Today and tomorrow and next week, Come and follow me. And Lord, I know that every day I face that decision. Am I going to follow you? And so Lord, I know sometimes I don't do it very well. I know sometimes I'm much more comfortable following my own desires, my own plans, my own dreams. Lord, you're called us to follow you. So on a mission Sunday like this, we're challenged in missions. We're challenged to think about Russia or about the world. But really, this applies every single day of our lives, right here in this city, right here in this county, right here in this state. All the same principles are the same thing, Lord. We want to follow you. We want to give you our lives. And so, Lord, we, we give in the goals toward missions, but, Lord, we want to give you our life and our ministry today, this afternoon, at the restaurant, in our neighborhood, at our work, in our schools. Lord, right now, we want to give of you Give of our lives to you. Do something within us. And so, Lord, I pray right now, supernaturally, put courage within the heart of every person here. In Jesus' name, I pray.